and I hope everybody's doing well. It's so, so good to be back in South Carolina, especially in Sherall. When we left uh, Thursday, it had just snowed on Wednesday, and I was rudely awakened at 5 a.m. by a snowplow going through my, by my window just so everyone could make it to work and school the next day. But I don't know if you've ever heard of snowplow scraping across uh, a paved road, but it is not a pleasant sound. And when it snows, those things go by like every 10 to 15 minutes. And so it's hard. I guess everybody up there has kind of already gotten used to that sound. So it's not a big deal. But me, anything, every time it comes by, it wakes me up. And unfortunately, it also wakes the baby up. So we need your prayers, man. We need it bad. So keep praying. We've been so encouraged by you guys, the, the cards that we get, the, the text messages, the phone calls. Um, Man, it's just been amazing. I was telling some guys this morning that I, I brag on this church everywhere I go in New England because me and Jesse recognize that we wouldn't be able to do what God's called us to do without this church behind us. And it's such a big deal for what this church does for us that we are so grateful for you. And we just ask you and beg you to please continue to pray for us. Please continue to encourage us any chance you get. I love, I know Jesse loves it, I love it. When I get a text message from one of you guys, even if I don't have the time to respond right away, man, it just makes my heart jump with joy to hear from you guys. So please just continue to do that. Um, and I'm just so grateful to be here. We came in on uh, Friday, and we're not leaving again until Saturday, and we left our schedule completely open for the most part because we just wanted to be able to spend time with people, and we want to be able to spend time with you. So if there's any questions I could answer for you, if you just want to hang out, um, hear about what God's doing through us and in us, man, I would love to just grab breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever, or just hang out at any given time this week. So please, please reach out to us. Um, and I hope that you can be here Wednesday night because I have a lot of cool stories that I would love to tell you. But today we are going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and get that out. Turn over to John chapter 4. I believe we'll have the verses up on the screen. We're going to look at the first 15 verses this morning. While you guys are getting there, I do want to tell you a quick story. So part of my weekly rhythm in Boston is that I get up on Tuesday and Thursday. I go catch a shuttle outside of my apartment uh, around 6.30 a.m. It takes me to the train station, which is about a mile away. I get on the train. I ride at about six or seven stops down to downtown Boston. I get out right by where the old state house is, which is one of the things you absolutely have to see if you ever visit Boston, because that's where this coffee house is that I work at. I volunteer there, so I don't, I don't get paid from the coffee house, but I volunteer there uh, twice a week. And so I'll start my shift around 7, which is the time that we open, and I'll finish my shift around 3 p.m., so I'll work pretty much all day there. But this coffee house was started out of a vision from John chapter 4, which we'll read about this morning, but it's a passage that you are likely familiar with. It's the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. If you notice, the coffee house is called the well, and I'll tell you why in a second, but um, the well used to be this place where people had to go to get water. There was really no other way to get a drink than besides going to the well, and because of that, it was also a place where people would gather. If somebody had some, some news to tell, they would always go to the well because they knew that there would be people there. And so the well was a place to go to get a drink. The well was a place to go 
to talk to people, to have conversations, to, to see people. And this is why the coffee house is called the well, because out of this vision of John chapter 4, they wanted to build a place in the city where people could go to get a drink, to hang out, to have conversations, to be able to sit with someone at a table you may know, you may not know, and just to be able to talk and share life together. And that does not exist in the city. In fact, the only place it really does exist is at the well, the well coffee house. And we have a, a very big following there. We have uh, some 200, 300 customers will come through any given day. And people love to just slow down and talk. And I, I love being there. And so even though the, the coffee house was started by a church, we do not call this a Christian coffee house. We call it a coffee house that is run by Christians. And so we're a nonprofit. So, in order to be a nonprofit, the government forces us. I know they really twist our arm and they force us to put Bible verses on our cups. And we have to have a Bible verse up somewhere within the coffee house to be able to keep our nonprofit status from the government. But it's not a Christian coffee house. You could go in there, you could see a, a Bible verse, you could read it on your cup but it's not a Christian coffee house. Because what we discovered is that only Christians go to Christian coffee houses. And we've also discovered there's no Christians in Boston. So it would be a terrible business model to have a Christian coffee house. It's a coffee house that's run by Christians. Now we've had some instances, uh, I do remember I'm back there making drinks and a guy comes in and he's like, he sees the Bible verse on the cup and he says, Psst, turn around and look and he's like, hey, points at the Bible verse never coming back here. That's fine. You don't have to. But I love the conversations. And I love the questions that we get. And the things that I get to experience are just things that I never experienced before. For instance, there was this uh, one time a group came in and they were kind of meeting off to the side and a lady walks up and she's just asking all these questions because one of the things that we do that's really cool is we highlight a different uh, charity or nonprofit in the city every month, and we just give all of our profits away to them. And we highlight it, we, we advertise for it. For instance, around Christmas, we did this thing. Uh, there's a charity in the city who gives Christmas presents to kids who don't normally get Christmas presents. So we did that. We did a toy drive. It was a big deal. People love that stuff. And so people come in, they ask these questions. This one particular lady came in. She's like, tell me more about the, uh, the charity that you're supporting. So I told her about uh, Christmas in the city is what it was called. And then she says, well, tell me more about how the coffee house got started. And I told her about the coffee house. She said, well, I understand that this place was started by a Christian church. I said, yes, ma'am, it was a Christian church in East Boston. It's a vision that's kind of born out of, out of that church. And she said, huh. And then she dropped this bomb on me, which we also get all the time. Well, what's your stance on LGBTQ? And so I know where those, those conversations normally go in my context in, in Boston. And I know that it's not helpful for me to just stand behind a desk at a coffee house and tell her what I believe the Bible says about this. And so the way that I normally answer that question is, well, this is just a coffee house. We don't have a doctrine statement. We serve coffee. We serve the community. But if you're interested, there's a church in East Boston that 
we would love to have you come and we will sit down and have that conversation with you if you want to. Or I would love to, when, when I'm not working, I will step back from behind the, the bar here and we can sit down and have a conversation. I, I just want to be able to have a dialogue with you instead of me just saying, well, this is, this is what the Bible says and, and cause a ruckus in the coffee house. I feel like doing it this way would show more, just more love to someone who's asking questions like that, which is what Jesus has called us to do. And she made this comment to me. She said, I was telling her about the church in East Boston, and she said, I'll never go to the church. We continued having this conversation, and the conversation ended cordially. It was fine. And she comes back, but that comment has always stuck with me. I'll never go to the church. But she did come to the coffee house that's run by the church. And that's why we started the coffee house, because the church building where we live has always been a barrier for people who have questions, people who are skeptic, people who, who want to know more about Jesus, people who just need certain questions answered. They would never walk through the doors of a church to get answers because they just don't feel comfortable there, especially in wake of everything that's happened in, in New England when it comes to church recently. But she would go to, and she did come to, a coffee house that was run by Christians. And the coffee house was just our church's way of breaking a barrier to make it easier for people who do have questions to come. And it just got me thinking, man, about like the life of Jesus and reading what Jesus did and how he operated while he had his short ministry here on earth, really just three years and I just always go back to this, this passage, John chapter 4. I just think about this three-year span of Jesus' earthly ministry. How many barriers did Jesus break? How many barriers does the gospel of Jesus Christ break? And how quick am I as a dirty, rotten sinner to build more barriers? And so I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 15, and as we... Look at this. I want to be able to look at just three ways that Jesus broke barriers. Three things that Jesus did specifically in this passage to break barriers and how we can do the same thing. But we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of John chapter 4. It says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank you so much for your word, God. Everything that we, God, everything that you have to teach us is just right here. And God, we just have the honor and the blessing to be able to read your words this morning. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to the text, faithful to the scriptures this morning. And God, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and heart and mind just ready to, to receive what you have for us. God, I pray that it would not be my words, but it would be your words spoken through me, God. And we just thank you so much for um, your grace and mercy, God. In your name we pray, amen. So in this passage, you'll notice as we read through those 15 verses, we are introduced to uh, basically three different people or people groups. One of the groups or one of the people is Jesus. Uh, one of the groups is the disciples, and the other is the Samaritan woman. And so as we go through this this morning, I want you to think about this. Which one of these people are you closer to being like today? Which one of these people reminds you more of yourself today? And we're going to talk about Jesus breaking these barriers. So the first barrier that Jesus broke was what we call a location barrier. A location barrier. So if we look, we find Jesus. He and his disciples have been traveling from Judea to Galilee. If we were to look at a map from that time, we would see that Judea would be in the south. Galilee would be in the north. And between those two areas was this place called Samaria. The most direct route for Jesus and the disciples to have taken to get to Galilee would have been going through Samaria. But there was just a little problem and that is that it was culturally unacceptable to travel through Samaria if you were a Jew. Samaria had a very bad reputation. Earlier on around 722 BC Samaria had been captured and it had been invaded by the Assyrian army. Many of the Israelites and Jewish people who were there got deported so foreigners began to move in with their own religions, with their own customs and traditions. They began to intermarry with some of the Samaritans, Jews who were left there, and it just created this, uh, this religion that just was tainted in the eyes of the Jews. And so many of the Jews, they set up this alternate route that took a lot longer to go to get around Samaria, but they just felt that if they went inside of Samaria, they were unclean. And so they built this barrier. And the barrier was location. We'll never go to Samaria. And while the Samaritans did practice some type of religion, it definitely was not the complete religion of the Bible. It was not the complete religion that the Jews worshipped. And so they avoided, avoided Samaria to the point of it costing a lot of time, and in turn, a lot of money. 
And what's interesting is that if we look at verse number four, I got it underlined in my Bible, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. As Jesus is traveling, it says that he had to pass through Samaria, but based on what I just told you, he didn't. There was another route to take. Geographically, he could have gone around. It would have been the culturally acceptable thing to do during this time. But verse 4 says he had to go. He had to go through Samaria. And so what we gather is that Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment. And on this day, the gospel of Jesus would break down a man-made barrier. And that barrier was location. And so Jesus travels. He goes in the middle of Samaria. He arrives at a town called Sychar. And what we learn about Jesus, based on the accusations that were made against him in Scripture, is that he was willing to go to places that other religious people during this time were not willing to go. He was willing to spend time with people that other religious people during this time were not willing to spend time with. And this is especially good for me because if I was living during this time period, 10 years ago, I would have been one of the people that would have been shut out of this thing. But Jesus broke the barrier. He was willing to go and he was willing to do what other people were not willing to do. He didn't say, I'm going to go to the temple for a few hours a day. You come and see me if you want to meet me there and we'll talk. He met them where they were and he met me where I was. John Piper gives this awesome illustration that kind of puts this into perspective for us. And he tells a story around uh, 60 years ago in the town where he grew up. Different stores, uh, some of you will remember, such as Walgreens. They had two water fountains. And there were signs over the different fountains. One said white and one said colored. And Piper says, you can scarcely imagine anything more demeaning than to build your entire plumbing system around the unwillingness to drink from the same fountain as someone else. But Jesus drank from the fountain. Jesus broke the barrier of location. And so I ask you this morning, are we willing to break the barrier of location? Was the barrier of location broken for you? When Jesus found you where you were, are we willing to do that today? Are we willing to go to places that you would not feel normally comfortable going? Are you willing to have conversations with people, conversations and dialogue with people who do not think like you do? If you're a Republican, are you willing to talk to a Democrat? If you're a Democrat, are you willing to talk to Republicans? It seems like this time in our nation, it's just not like you can't have a cordial conversation with someone who sits on the other side of the table anymore. But for me, where I am, I have to, or I just won't be talking to anybody. <laughs> I'll just be talking to my wife, myself. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to do the things that Jesus did? Are you willing to break these man-made barriers that we've put into place? Jesus broke this barrier location, but that wasn't the only one that he broke. We're going to continue 
uh, verse 7 through 9, we see that Jesus broke cultural barriers. Verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans? One of the beautiful things that I love about Jesus is that he never stereotypes anyone. He never puts anyone into a bubble. He never labels anyone. Jesus loved people. Jesus spent time with people. In fact, the people that he does label are the religious people of the day, the Pharisees. And he doesn't put nice labels on them. We already discussed the fact that that Samaria was avoided at a great cost. And one of the other prevailing stereotypes of this day, one of the cultural norms of this day was the fact that women were extremely marginalized. Which means that they didn't have rights. Women didn't have a voice. And as a father, I'm going to have to explain to my, my daughter one day that this is what existed in our own country. Just like the other day, I had to explain to my son that there was something called slavery that once, that once existed. But Jesus paved the way. Jesus broke this cultural barrier because when, when the disciples come back from getting food in the city, they see Jesus sitting at the well with a woman, a Samaritan woman, and he's having a conversation with her. You know, during this time period, Jewish rabbis were known to pray a prayer, and it would say, I'm thankful that I'm neither a Gentile nor a woman. And if we were to fast forward to verse 27 in chapter 4, we would see the disciples it says, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to not a Samaritan, but to a woman. And so Jesus already broke the location barrier by coming to Samaria to begin with, and now he's breaking the cultural barrier by having a conversation with a woman at a well. And what blows my mind is that it wasn't even the fact that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan or getting ready to drink water from a Samaritan well that really ruffled the feathers of the disciples, it was the fact that he was talking to a woman. That's hard for me to believe, but it's true. Jesus broke the cultural barrier. He was willing to talk to the Samaritan woman. You know, our son, he's not in here. He's in the nursery, but Adam is nine months old now. He's 27 pounds. He weighs almost as much as Ainsley, who just turned four. Uh, I, I don't get it, all right? And so at our church in Boston, people call him Squishy and Nugget. That's his nicknames. Sometimes Chicken Nugget, but his real full name is Adoniram. I know you guys know that, but Adoniram. And it sounds crazy, like that is a weird name. And, and people in New England, uh, someone thought that I was British the other day. I get a lot of comments on my voice. Someone thought that I was British, which I've never gotten before, and uh, said, well, that's just an old English name because you're British. And I'm like, no, no. I'm definitely, I'm so far from British. Um, but Adoniram, so we were naming him, and we gave him this name Adoniram after uh, a missionary. His name was Adoniram Judson. And another cool thing that happened is we met another church planting family in Boston, uh, Brian and Katie Owen, 
and they planted in the Fenway neighborhood, Fenway Park, and their church is called Grace City Church. They have a son that was born right at the same time as Adoniram, and they named him Judson after Adoniram Judson. And so it's pretty cool. Um, but we were thinking, you know, we wanted to give him a meaningful name. And as we began to study this life of Adoniram Judson, what really stood out to us was not just Adoniram Judson, but his wife, who was Ann Judson. And she was just so, she was just so anointed by God. And their story, it's like, they were such a dynamic team for what they did. She would become the first American missionary to go overseas. The first female American missionary to go overseas. And I just think about how special that is. Because at this period in time when she did that, she didn't even have the right to vote. Yet she was willing to go across the ocean to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a place called Burma. And I think about just the special things that she did. We just learned so much about this. Her story has always stuck with us. And she really paved the way for future missionaries such as Henrietta Hall Shuck, who, who has ties to our church. She was one of the first Southern Baptist female missionaries to, to go overseas. Or Lottie Moon, you've probably heard that name before. We take up a Lottie Moon offering around Christmas time every year to support international missions. But Ann Judson was one of the first. And I say, man, that's so special. But it never would have happened had Jesus not broken that cultural barrier that he broke in John chapter 4. When Jesus sits down and has a conversation with a woman, not just a Samaritan woman, but a woman, he paves the way for some of the most amazing women of faith to go and do some of the most amazing work that's ever been done for the kingdom. And man, I just thank God for that. I'm so thankful that Jesus broke these barriers. And so I encourage you, if you get a chance, look up this, the stories of the Judsons, Ann and, and Adoniram Judson. I'm sure you would be just as encouraged as we were. But Jesus sits down at a well. He has a dialogue with a woman from Samaria. He gives Samaritans an opportunity because of his presence. He gives women an opportunity because of his willingness to speak. And it really really is a special thing that's happening in the scriptures. The third thing that Jesus does is he breaks down religious barriers. He breaks location barriers. He breaks cultural barriers. Jesus also breaks religious barriers. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water water and her response is how do you get the living water you don't have anything to draw with it reminds me of the conversation that he had just had in chapter 3 with a guy named Nicodemus who was a very religious person and Jesus said you must be born again and he's like how can I be born again from my mom that doesn't make any sense Jesus and she's like how are you going to give me living water you don't have anything to draw with, but what we know is that she grew up in Samaria in a very religious culture. So she had an idea about this living water. This was probably not the first time that she had ever heard the term living water before. She had some background, if you will. She had some prior knowledge. 
She probably had read or had heard read readings from the prophets, such as Jeremiah, who said in chapter 2, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hoot out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Or in Isaiah, chapter 58, 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Or lastly, Zechariah 13.1, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. She had likely heard of this living water before. And that's why it led her to say later on, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am Jesus introduces a Samaritan woman to a new kind of water, a water that could not be drawn from the physical well. While the water in the well was good for temporary thirst, the water in the well could quench a physical thirst. The water that Jesus offered her quenched a spiritual thirst for all of eternity. And so there was this religion barrier for her. She had grown up in a religious culture. It was a broken religious culture. It was um, part of what the Hebrews read and the Jews read, but it was also part of what foreigners had brought in over years and years and years. And she just had this misconstrued idea about what, uh, what God was, who God was. But she knew that there would be a Messiah, and she knew that he would bring living water. And I can just picture her sitting here at the well, having this conversation with Jesus. Her mind's probably blown because, one, he's a Jew. Two, he's a guy. She can't believe that she's even talking to him to begin with. And then come to find out, wait, this guy is the Messiah. Oh, my goodness. Life has just changed drastically, and all I was doing was going to get a drink out of the well. But that's how God works. He meets you where you are. I could picture this lady, based on what we learn about her later on, we learn that she's an adulteress, that she's um, had many husbands, a very sinful life, a very shameful life that, that people probably in her community would, would constantly remind her about. She was absolutely at, probably at the bottom of the social ladder. But I can just imagine, man, how she feels in this moment. when Jesus offers her living water. And I can just imagine that she would be a lot like the lady I had a conversation with who told me that she would never go to church. Well, I'm never going to go to the church. I'm never going to go to the temple. I'm not welcome there. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but a lot of time, people who don't follow Jesus don't feel very welcome in places like this. And so that's why we have to be the church out there because they're never going to come here. Occasionally they will but not very often. And so the church that I'm a part of in East Boston is called the Church at 
the well. And the idea behind that is that we worship on Sunday at the coffee house that's closed on Sunday. The well coffee house was the church at the well. And when I was thinking about this passage and uh, the coffee house and the church, I said, man, every church should really be a church at the well. But a lot of times we're just satisfied being the church at the church. And so I asked you at the beginning, think about this. In John 4, what three categories do you fall in? Are you more like Jesus? Are you more like the Samaritan woman? Are you more like the disciples? When we think about this woman, she, she gets to this point where she leaves her water pot. She's realized that Jesus is the Messiah, that she has access now to this living water. She leaves her water pot where it is, and she becomes what we believe to be the first Christian missionary to Samaria outside of Jesus. And we learn that she goes back to this town. She goes back to her town, where she's from, and she just starts telling everybody, come and see this guy who told me everything that I ever did because he's the Messiah, and he's given me living water. And he can give it to you. And the people hear her testimony and they believe. And this really fascinates me. Because we didn't get to hear much about the disciples in this story. What we do learn about the disciples is that they had gone into the city to get food. Yet it was the woman who went to the city and told them about Jesus. Even though the disciples had already been there. You have the disciples. They are the closest people to Jesus on the face of the earth. And here we have in this moment, just like we see a lot of times, where they just don't get it. They've been into the city. They've been looking for food. They come back. They see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and they still don't get it. In fact, Jesus has to break it down for them. He says, uh, don't say that the harvest will come in four months. Look and see that the fields are ready for the harvest now. He was telling them that the the harvest was people who were ready to be received into his kingdom. And that the disciples had the opportunity to go out and reap the harvest. And what's so beautiful about this thing is that a lot of times we put so much pressure on ourselves, like we got to go out and we got to make the gospel uh, just relevant to everybody, and we got to, um, you know, come up with catchy things to say to get people's attention. But the truth is that God already did all the work. We just got to be obedient. He said, "Go make disciples." All right, I know what I can do, but I already know what He's already done, and that's the beauty of it. If I was up in Boston and I thought that it all depended on me, I would be probably in a fetal position crying in the corner. (laughs) But I know that God has a plan and I trust that plan and I'm just going to be obedient to what he's called me to do. And that's true for everyone who follows Jesus. And this is what Jesus was trying to get the disciples to see is that the harvest is ready. It's not going to be ready in four months. The harvest is ready now. I can use you 
to reap the harvest. But you went into the city and were concerned more about food, so instead I'm going to use this woman, a Samaritan woman, to go do it. And she goes and she becomes the missionary. And so I'm thinking about all of this and I'm thinking about our culture today. And I see this in New England where I'm at too. It's very prevalent that if someone is not like you, the normal thing to do is to retreat from that person. If someone has ideas that are not like your ideas, the the safe thing to do is to not associate with that person. And like I mentioned before, it seems like we're in this polarized society today where we can't disagree on any issue cordially. Everything seems like a battle today. We see it play out in our lives. We see it play out at the dinner table even. We see it play out uh, in social media. Social media has given everyone a voice on every issue. And the way that a lot of social media is set up today, it doesn't give us opportunity for dialogue, which is what's really helpful. But it does give us opportunity to like and share. And I know a lot of, a lot of the time we, we appreciate the freedoms that we have here. But I think a lot of time we need to realize that we have the freedom to not say or do too. That a lot of time when we do certain things, we might be building a barrier to someone who may not have the same ideas about us, but perhaps God wants to save. And that's the reality that I have to live in every single day of my life. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, New England is nothing like South Carolina. And I want you to come and spend time with us just so you can check it out. Because it really is awesome what God's doing. We just have to be so careful not to build barriers. Because it will be so easy in a community like the one we live in of 50,000 people within a three square mile um, (laughs) uh, geography. It would be so easy for me to get labeled the preacher and then be alienated from absolutely everyone. It would be so easy for my wife to get labeled the pastor's wife at the Christian church, and then no one associates with us because we've just fell victim to being barriered. It would be so easy for my son in second grade for parents to tell their kids, his dad's the the Christian preacher, so he can't be your friend. And if you think I'm crazy... Come check it out. It's like that. It would be so easy for that to happen, but by the grace of God, it hasn't. Because our attitude has been, ever since we moved there, that we're going to be a part of the community. We're going to let people see that we love this place and that we love them. And then they'll see that we love Jesus too. And then perhaps they will change their mind about Christians based on, and we've seen it happen so far, and it's been amazing. Culture tells us to retreat from people in places that may not be like us. But what I see Jesus do, especially in John chapter 4, is he did not retreat. He redeemed. Well, culture said, avoid this place. And just so you know, the place that we live in in New England was traditionally a place where people did not move to. It was a place where people had to live when they couldn't afford to live anywhere else. And that's changing because of the casino and all the other stuff going on there. But when people hear that we wanted to move to their community, they're intrigued and they want to know more. 
because historically it wasn't a place where people wanted to move. When, G, when, when the culture says reject, Jesus says redeem. When the culture says this is how things are in the world today, Jesus says this is how things should be, and he says it in love, and he breaks the culture barrier. When religion says work for this, and you will be saved, Jesus says, I worked for this, so you will be saved if your faith is in me. So who are you? Are you, are you the Samaritan woman? You've been rejected. You've been a slave to sin. Today, my words of hope to you is that Jesus has broken down the greatest barrier that ever existed, and that was the barrier of sin between us and him. And he served as the bridge so that we could have a relationship with God. Just like things were intended to be in the beginning. Jesus broke that barrier. If your faith is in him. And the beauty of it is, is that a lot of times we think that we have to t uh, talk to a pastor if we have religious questions. And that's just not true. If you have religious questions, if you have questions about Jesus... Or about Christianity, you could actually turn to the person right beside you, ask them if they're a Christian, and if they say yeah, you can, they could answer those questions for you. I have faith in that. Ask them what it means to follow Jesus. Or are you more like the disciples? You're very close to Jesus, but you've gotten so busy that you don't realize that there is a harvest that God is going to bring into his kingdom. And he wants to work in you and through you to see this happen. And my advice to you, my, my, my hope for you would be this. Abide in Christ. A lot of times we want to build a new program or have some additional training or, or do something. But it really is this simple. Abide in Christ. And what I mean by that is spend time with him. Spend time with Jesus. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you act like Him. Abide in Christ. Or maybe you read this passage and you were like, you know what? Jesus went in there. He, he broke barriers. He had dialogue with people who weren't like Him. He had conversations with people who, who didn't necessarily believe that He was the Messiah. Praise God. And keep going. Keep doing that. Keep living the Christ-like life. Keep pressing forward. Keep having difficult conversations with people. Keep, keep being willing to be open to people asking questions. Be the person that, that someone who's skeptical can go to and get an honest, biblical answer from. Be the person that someone is comfortable even asking those types of questions from. Don't build barriers. Don't build barriers. Keep being the person who is willing to break the barrier. Keep being the person who is willing to cross the barrier. One of the coolest things about our network, the North American Mission Board, is that a lot of places we go, we'll be having a meeting, and uh, it'll be 10 a.m. or 10.02 a.m., and you'll hear an alarm go off. And you're like, what in the world's going on? Someone forgot to turn their alarm off. 
Like, that's rude. But no, it's not. It's not what it is because people in our network, we, we set our alarm for 10.02 to remind us of Luke 10 and 2, which says this, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And at 10.02, when that alarm goes off, it just reminds us to pray the prayer that Jesus just told them to pray. God, send out laborers into your harvest. And I love the wording there, how it says that it's his harvest. It's his harvest. And he chooses to use me. And that just brings me so much joy. So much joy. And so this morning, as we close, I'm going to pray for us. Praise team's going to come up and we'll sing. But I want you to think about those three people. Jesus, the Samaritan woman, or the disciples. Which category would you think you would fall into today? And what can you do based on that to move forward and to get better and to be more Christ-like? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our church. Thank you for just the, the joy of being here in the presence of friends and family. And God, just thank you for John chapter 4. Thank you for Jesus who went and broke barriers. And, and God, just wasn't afraid to have difficult conversations with people. And God, I know that's something that I've had to learn and something that I'm still learning. And God, I just pray that you would teach me more Father, I pray that if anyone is here this morning who doesn't know you, and they, they, they say, man, I would be in the category of the Samaritan woman, and I would be like, man, I just have been so separated from God. God, that you would reveal to them your living water and allow them to drink from that living water, God, so that they would not be thirsty again. And God, we try to quench our thirst with so many different things. God, there's really only one thing that'll do it, and that's you. Father, we just love you and thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, his grace and mercy that's been poured out. And Father, pray that you would continue to just show us what your will is for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.